Welcome to the Construction User 2.0 from the Association of Union Constructors. In this podcast, we explore the latest labor trends, industry insights, and important issues in the world of construction. Join us for conversations with industry leaders, subject matter experts, and innovative visionaries as we discuss how we are building the world of tomorrow. Welcome back to the Construction User 2.0. Today's guest is no stranger to building a business in the innovation landscape. As the editor-at-large for Fortune magazine, he has covered the economic, political, technological, and competitive forces disrupting industries for over four decades. As a best-selling author and speaker, he has informed audiences of 10 to 10,000 of some of the nation's largest companies. He is our closing speaker for this year's IGI, but joining us today to talk a little bit about what is going to be coming over the horizon. Please help me welcome Jeff Colvin. I just wanted to just jump off here at the top and say thank you so much for taking a few minutes to, to talk to us today. My great pleasure, I assure you. I'm, I'm glad to have the chance. So I always try to keep these conversations as light and conversational possible. And what better way to do that than to start with an absolutely ridiculous question. So I wanted to ask, what is the last song you got stuck in your head, like walking down the street, couldn't break free of it? Oh, that's so hard to answer. Oddly enough, I listen to a lot of classical music. And probably the thing that got stuck in my head most recently was some, wait, you know what? It actually, oh, no, no. You know what actually got stuck in my head? This is all going to be weird, okay? But it was a, you were right, though. Was it? Okay. A movie theme song that you probably never heard of. Okay. But this is from a 19, (laughs) this will sound crazy, but maybe I'm just crazy. A 1958 movie called The Big Country. Okay. No. You're probably aware of the famous theme music from. The Magnificent Seven, I think a 1960 movie, which was used heavily through uh, Marlboro uh, TV advertising when that was legal. Uh, It's a famous, famous uh, movie theme song. This one that went through my mind and has been stuck there is from two years previously. And it seems clear to me that the composer of the Magnificent Seven theme was listening to that previous one. He owes a big debt to it. And it's really, really great. It, great if you like that kind of thing. No, a Big Country is awesome. It's Gregory Peck. It's, uh, yeah, 1958. Oh, you know it. I absolutely know it. It's it's never a safe bet to say a movie you've probably never heard of with me in particular. I'm that guy. And I was raised by a dad that loved countries. Uh, sorry, Westerns. So I have seen every Western in particular ad nauseum. No, I'm, I'm very oh familiar gosh. with Gregory Peck's Big Country. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Anyway. That's a great theme. So that's what I've been thinking of. Awesome. No, good answer. Good answer. Well, again, we're, we're glad to have you on. You, uh, you're going to be coming up and, and joining us at IGI in just a, just, a, just a couple of weeks and, and talking about you know, innovation and the world that we're in right now. And so I thought just leading up to that, we should kind of have a pre-conversation about all the infrastructure legislation and creating so much of the new work the never-ending string of existing projects and like all the, th- the changes that are happening. How do businesses today that are already swamped with the changes even begin to try to stay, keep up with that, let alone stay ahead of it? Yeah, it is a real challenge. And, you know, things have always been changing fast, but truly things are changing really, really fast now. And it is a big 
it's a big challenge. And really, those who uh, meet this challenge best will have an enormous advantage for a long, long time to come. But it's, you know, what it comes down to is basic stuff that has always been true. I'm thinking specifically of people and culture and leadership, you know, eternal issues. But man, they count for a huge amount now. And so, you know, we can get into it. AI, automation, changing the industry enormously, as you guys all know better than anybody. Okay, how are you going to deal with it? Labor shortage, you know, getting the people you need, getting enough of them with the right skills and so forth. It's broad. And again, it's not what it used to be. You know, the, the way you deal with it is not the way you used to deal with it. So there's so many things, but fundamentally, there are these ancient uh, topics, these ancient virtues that are going to make all the difference. And that's culture, leadership, and the people. How do we set ourselves up for a culture of change? You know, a lot of people, they, they get into their, they get into their rhythm. They're like, okay, I know my job. I know. And a culture, I agree with you, is so important. But how do you set up for someone with a, the culture is the moving target. That's, that's a stressful request. Yes. Yes, it really is. And so what do you do? Here's, here's some ways to think about the culture because everybody loves to talk about it now. And by the way, I'm old enough to remember when like CEOs, you know, real CEOs didn't want to talk about it. They thought it was soft and squishy, couldn't measure it and so forth. Not what a real CEO would think about or worry about. Now they all know it's critical and it's, you know, arguably the most important thing. So what does it mean? It means what's in the air at the organization. It's what people probably don't even say, what they don't even talk about, because it's in the air. It is the norm. It, you know, it is what people do because it's the way we do it. Here's another way to think about it. Imagine a new employee coming to the company and that person goes to the lunchroom at lunchtime and sits down randomly with a bunch of people They've never met because they don't know anybody there yet. And they say, look, I'm the new guy here, uh, guy applying to both sexes as it does today. Uh, I'm the new guy here, right? And, uh, you know, wh what do you do to get ahead around here? And whatever they, whatever the answer is to that question tells you a lot about the culture of the place. So, you, you know, you try to imagine what would the answer be when a newcomer comes in and says, how do we get, how, how do you get, a, how do you, get ahead at this place. That's a great litmus test because I just started thinking about it like, okay, if someone asked me that about here or anywhere I'd worked, the answer would be really different from the different places that I've worked. Yep. And that does, that's a really, really solid litmus test of, of what is valued by the leadership, what is noticed by the leadership. How do you get ahead here? Yeah. Yeah. So to get back to your, your question specifically, okay. Is this a culture that embraces change? And very few cultures do, right? The, I mean, what you want is people who will recognize change and, as I like to say, face it and embrace it. And most people do the opposite. They don't want to face it. They want to pretend it isn't there, as you mentioned. And even if they acknowledge that it's there, they don't want to embrace it. They want to do the opposite. They say, oh, it'll never last. No, there are all these reasons it won't work. All of that is doom 
for the culture and ultimately for the organization. So it, look, the cultures get changed, not because people announce them. It's because the leaders change day to day what they do. Yeah, I, I'll tell you, I remember years ago, soon after, well, it was within a year after Mary Barra became CEO of General Motors, I was interviewing her and I said, you know what, you you seem to be changing the culture at GM, but how do you think about it? What, what do you do? And she gave, I think, like the smartest answer I've ever heard to that question, which is, first, I don't talk about the culture, all right? That's just too big and amorphous and people don't know really what to do. I don't talk about the culture. All I do is behave a certain way with all the people who report to me. Do it consistently in the way I want our culture to be. And it will cascade down through the organization because then that's what they'll do. And it's going to take time and it's going to be one step at a time is the only way it can be done. But that's what we do. We're not going to have a committee on culture change. We're not, right? Which I, GM did in the past, as you probably, yeah. We're just going to focus on behavior. And that's it. You know, that's what the leaders need to do. So you said something there that I want to kind of, you know, pull out and focus on. You're like, the the whole well that'll never work. So the we're not going to worry about that. That's a fad. That internet that's going to go away. These smartphones those aren't going to. We're not going to invest in this new technology. The thing is that we laugh about my joke about the internet or, or smartphones because those are clearly absurd. But there are everyone can pick the five technologies that they remember being the next big thing that that went away. I mean they they didn't take on. So how do we? How do we hedge our bets on that? How do we know, okay, this is the right one and this is the wrong one? Good question. Very good question. Here's the way, here are some ways to think about it that I know have been successful for others. One, try to get some personal experience with the technology. Now, that's easier for some than for others. But I'm thinking now about the hottest technology everywhere with everyone, AI. Okay. What are people supposed to think about that? How big is it really going to be? My view on that is start using it yourself. The great thing about AI is anybody can use it. This is available today. Yeah, for free. For free. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's there for free. It, you know, all you have to do is sign is sign up and honestly start just just trying stuff with it. I heard recently about a guy who was at a wedding of a friend of his and afterward there were all, you know, the groomsmen give their speeches and so forth. And, um, one of them gave a speech that the guy said was the greatest he'd ever heard. People were, you know, crying. It was just, it was the most perfect groomsman speeches. And afterwards the guy went over to that groomsman and said, that was the greatest groomsman speech. I've ever heard. Congratulations. And the guy said, oh, thanks. Chat GPT wrote it. And that's actually a great example. Just try it with stuff. And by the way, if you're trying it, the one you get for free is using GPT 3.5. That's the version. You're willing to spend all of 20 bucks a month. Then you get the higher tier uh, version, which uses chat, which uses GPT 4 which is 
enormously more advanced than 3.5. So I, please spend the 20 bucks and try it out. It will open your mind and it will, you, you'll immediately have feelings about whether this is going to be the real thing or not. Yeah, the neuro network, they've done a really good job of coding and labeling and the every every iteration is getting better, but 4.0 is the first one that's it's almost scary. Like they've all been like, "Oh, fun toy," but 4.0 is it's it's unsettling how how well it works. So, this organization, you know, the Association of Union Constructors, some of our members, I'm not exaggerating when I say their companies have been around since the industrial revolution. Like they've been around for over a hundred years. They've, they've been around, they've been through the depression and you know, they, they've seen New York crawl out of the mud, if you will, for some of these companies, you know, for a startup saying embrace change, well, that's the whole culture of a startup. That's the point. But for some of these organizations, it's their fourth and fifth and sixth generation companies. I'm, I'm thinking of a few in particular that are literal, they're family heirloom companies. Change is a, is a different proposal. It's a scarier topic. What's the small steps? How do we start other than just say, you know, hey, be the change you want to see, which makes total sense. How do you get okay? What are the small steps? What's that first step to changing an archival company? Well, uh, so let's let's think of it in two um, from two perspectives. One is focusing on yourself, changing it in yourself, trying to identify your own resistance or fear to change. And for that, it really helps to find someone else up here, someone, you know, who's not your superior, not somebody who works for you, but appear that the two of you can challenge each other about, you know, are you really trying to play down a change that might be important here, try to keep each other honest. And that really helps if, you know, and, and keep doing it. And I have to say, your boss may not feel the same way. And right. So you can be a real change embracer, what the company needs. And maybe your supervisor or boss isn't there yet. And I've talked to people about that. Actually, I've asked exactly that question of Jack Welch, CEO of General Electric for 20 years and enormously successful. And I said, what are you supposed to do then? And he said, well, try your best, but ultimately, maybe you just have to go someplace else. Now, that's from the person who is not in the top leadership. For those, but for, the, for those who are not in the top leadership, that's unfortunately, that's what it comes down to. For those in the top leadership, okay, the same, well, I'll tell you, what I've seen people do is get a mentor who's younger than them. It's someone who is much more comfortable with whatever is changing, with the technology that you're wondering about. Someone who, you know, doesn't feel threatened about it because they haven't invested sure. half their life in it. Right. And get them to mentor you in this change or technology or whatever it is you're thinking about. And I have seen a number of CEOs doing that. Yeah. As they know that they need it. I've seen it as well. It's really impressive to me because it, it takes a lot of it puts your ego in check. It's you. You have to admit I'm the one in charge, but I don't know. And I have to let a subordinate often someone teach me the guy like how to steer the ship. And that, that takes, that's a delicate dance. It takes a lot of uh, uh, pride swallowing. Yes, it does. And so at a certain point, some leaders 
are going to be able to do this and some just aren't, right? Because you're talking about deep personal traits and, right? And if, if somebody isn't that way, if somebody isn't willing to let someone challenge their ego or challenge their preordained or their, 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 you know, previous views on stuff, if they're not willing to be vulnerable in that way, then ultimately it's going to be lights out and I, you know there's nothing that anyone can say to them so it it's going to require that uh for sure and you actually just talked into something that i was kind of the next thing i wanted to talk to you about was that the other thing that we've that i've just kind of personally noticed and i've been sort of putting some some focus on is succession management like you have finally got your company going in the right direction but you're a little older you've been doing it for 15 years you're a little you know you know you're you're three years away from ending two years away from when a so it's a multi-part question when do you start thinking about who's next is it year out two out three out and how do you start building that how do you manage that making sure the star you've built on the rise doesn't just end briefly with the guy you hand the reins to yeah it's a huge and hugely important question what i have observed is that the best organizations are always thinking about even when the new CEO is named and goes to the first board meeting, they will spend a considerable time on, on leader development through the organization. So they're, they're, they're thinking about how we are building the coming generations right now. And they will spend significant time on that. They will also, at the first board meeting of the new CEO, will put a name in an envelope in case the CEO gets hit by a bus. So they know at all times who the next CEO is going to be. So in a, what I'm saying is the process is never ending. It never, it never starts because it never ends at the best companies. They are always keeping in mind who are the next people. But I can add one other thing that's not eternal. I recently spent quite a lot of time spent quite a lot of time talking with the major executive search firms about exactly the question you're asking you know what are the new the next generation of ceos going to need in the way of traits knowledge uh whatever and the answer that came through is it's going to be more about what you're like than it is about what you know and this gets back, back to our earlier topic of change. It's going to be a different world five years after you get the job, maybe less than five years. You, you can't know everything about what's going to happen. It's more about what you're like. Are you willing to embrace change as we were talking about? Are you willing to maintain the culture and adjust the culture as the environment demands? You know, are you willing to be vulnerable about your own knowledge? Because you're going to need new knowledge all the time. That's what, and so a lot of boards and a lot of, um, CEOs present, you know, uh, in current CEOs didn't come up thinking that way. And it's had for them to hard for them to think that way, but it's clear that's it. One of the most stark, you know, changes, you know, I was, I was a, 
you know, I, I'm in my 40s, raised by a, by a, you know, clear baby boomer, everything. And the thing that was just interesting to watch him just grapple with through my young career was just in his day, 33 years Army, 15 years Raytheon after 33 years Army. Like, I mean, he... The 20 year letter or the gold watch and the pension was just the name of the game. And watching my brothers, I'm the youngest, watching my brothers and I kind of not change careers, but change jobs every three to five years. He like moved to a new company. He's like, what are you doing? You're losing all your headway. You're and that culture has just shifted to his complete lack of not lack of understanding, but like that's just not a culture that he was used to that. You, you had your ecosystem and you worked through that ecosystem. You didn't hop ecosystems, but that has changed a lot. So I really, it really resonates with me of not, it's not about your education or your degree. In a few years, it won't be what you know, but what you're like and what your, your ability to change your mind quickly. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Especially people who are getting on towards retirement. I would re recommend that they just get onto Glassdoor and or any of the other job, big job sites, and just look, just see what's available there. Because the people who work for you, the younger ones especially, they're looking at it every day. And they know stuff that you and I never did know, or not you, but your dad and I never knew and never could know. They, you know, the, the younger people who work for you know all this stuff, and they look at it every day. So with that in mind, what you just said, it was just, you know, just... You have worked with these heads of industry, GM and GE and all these, you know, working with Fortune magazine as well as with your books and your tours. You've had your finger on the pulse of a lot of different industries or just industry in general. If you had to say, you know, what's on the horizon that you see that isn't necessarily as being widely talked about? You know, people talk about the labor shortage. We talk about what's here right now. We talk about what's in our front yard. I want to talk about what's coming over the mountain. What's coming over the mountain, Jeff? Yep. It's a, that's a great question, and everybody should be thinking about it. Here's what I would say. Well, the, the thing that's very visible right now uh, is obviously technology, technolo technology advances, specifically AI and automation. But most people, and I, this is classic, and it's just what you said, most people are looking, you know, like six months or a year down the road with regard to these technologies. They're not looking years down the road. And with today's AI and automation, these are big, historic, general purpose technologies. And what we've seen when such things have occurred previously, when I'm thinking of the Internet, I'm thinking of electricity, what everybody did initially was just figure out how to use those technologies to do what they already do, right? So when electricity arrived, they took the factories they already had, and instead of water power or wind power or whatever it was they were using, they used electricity. Then they realized that actually with electricity, they could throw out that whole design of their old factories. They could completely reconceive the way their work got done because of the new technology in ways that nobody had ever imagined, because you couldn't imagine. That's the big challenge that is facing people now. The, the winners are the ones who are thinking now about that much larger question. They are thinking today about how will we be able to reimagine our business using this technology, which is rapidly getting faster. So we shouldn't be, we shouldn't keep ourselves 
tied to the current ability of the technology. It's going to be a hundred times, literally a hundred times better in a couple of years. What could we do with that? And those who are imaginative and bold enough to think about that are going to be the, the big winners. And there will be few because it's hard to imagine what you've never seen before, uh, what you've never thought of before. That's what the winners will do. No, I love that. I, uh, I, I was reading a few years ago, one of Bill Gates's earlier books, Business at the Speed of Thought. And he was talking about that exact conversation about how in his 20s, he was over in Europe talking to a, a chain of bankers. You know, these are older men. These are men. In, he's in his 20s and they're in their 60s in the mid 90s and talking about building an email infrastructure. And they're like, well, we understand email's coming, but we're not there yet. And he's like, do you agree that in five years, everyone will have an email? Do you agree that in eight years, this will be, do you agree that in 10 years that? And we're like, well, sure, but that's in those years. He's like, then why would we wait? Like, why, why wouldn't we do this right now? And he revolutionized the banking system, even though that's not what you think of Microsoft for, but like, we know that ChatGPT is here. We know it's not going away. We know these technologies are here. Let's not worry about where it is now. Let's worry about where it's gonna be. Yes, that's a great, great story because that says it perfectly. That captures it perfectly. And the the thing that is now making it even harder to do what those bankers had trouble doing is that Bill Gates was talking about the era of Moore's Law where computing power for a dollar doubled every two years or so. <laughs> right. With the AI, everybody I talk to says it's doubling every three to six months. Right. Yeah. This is incomprehensible. Yeah. We, we passed Moore's law a while ago. It, it, it is. Yeah. It's doubling fast and fast and fast. It, yeah. Exponentially. Exponentially. Well then just, just kind of in conclusion with you, I mean, I could literally sit and trade you know, these kind of stuff all day, but you know, in, in reference and in respect of your time, as I said at the beginning, you're going to be speaking, you're our closing speaker at IGI, uh, just coming up in the, the first week of September. What can people look forward to? Give us a teaser. What are we going to hear? Well, my real objective, my main objective is to talk to the group about not so much what what's coming, although you have to be looking at what's coming, but is to talk to the group about what can you do today, right? When you get home and back in the office or even before, why wait that long, right? What can you do today to deal with all these issues that you and I've been talking about, change in a big way, technological advances more specifically, labor. We didn't talk about, you know, labor shortage. We didn't talk about dealing with millennials and Gen Z, right? We're a tough nut to crack, man. <laughs> like <laughs> Dealing with us is hard. Yeah, it, because oh, look, I hear it all the time. You hear it all the time. The, the managers, people in their 50s, maybe 40s, 50s, or even 60s, they have stereotypes of these generations, which may be valid as stereotypes, but they, but not every single person in those generations is that way. You have a lot more choice than you think you have, but also just how they see the world. It's not necessarily crazy. It's just completely different to what people in their forties, fifties, and sixties think. So, you know, how do you deal today getting the best of those people and getting them to stay with you, even though just what you said, they move all the time. We move faster. Yeah. So that's, that's it. Yeah. There are a lot of big trends and so forth, but what can you do today to deal with them? That's my objective. Awesome. Well, 
Sir, I'm looking very, very much forward to uh, to seeing that uh, speech and getting to meet you in a few weeks. And thank you so much for taking the uh, a few minutes to talk to me today. It has been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for great questions. I love to talk about this. So uh, I'm looking forward to the event. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You've just listened to the Construction User 2.0 podcast from the Association of Union Constructors. Don't forget to subscribe to get all future episodes of what is going on and what is current in the union construction and maintenance industry. 